Today on the Therapy Dogs Australia podcast, Sam and I will be chatting with the lovely Marlene Boom about her experience initially failing a temperament test with her future therapy dog. Marlene details the assessment experience and what she and her dog still needed to work through in order to successfully pass the assessment a few months later. We hope this episode will reassure those who feel anxious about their upcoming assessment and shine some light on why it's a necessary part of the therapy dog training journey. Sit back, relax and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode with Therapy Dogs Australia, the podcast. Today, Sam and I are going to be chatting to Marlene, which is very exciting because we're going to discuss the temperament test and everything to do with that. And when you fail it the first time, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the be all and end all because Marlene's been through that process and passed on the second attempt. So we're, we're going to go through a little bit of that today. How are you, Marlene? I'm good, thank you. That's good. Um, to, to kick us off, do you want to give us and the listeners a little bit of a background about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm an occupational therapist and um, I went to a webinar about um, therapy dogs and that's kind of how I started. Um, I have a field spaniel who's five years old named Kuma so she was my first therapy dog. So she's going into oh, two or three years now that she's working with me. And then um, I have a two-year-old Labrador named Miku, um, who is um, unfortunately failed her first temperament test, but has started working now as well. Um, so, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> How old's Mika? Uh, Miku's two. Two, yeah. And she's just started working yeah. with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> and how did you hear about us? How did you get in touch with us? Um, through the webinar that I did, there were some suggestions and um, I kind of um, just through Google as well. It's a very good <laughs> tool. Um, mm -hmm. So and just checked out the courses. And um, for me, it was really important that I did a course as well that had some sort of certifications for because my insurance re uh, requires that. So that is always really good as well to um, have a course that assesses you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And how long have you been in an OT for? Um, a few years, four or five years now. Yeah. And you kind of knew that you wanted to bring animal assisted therapy in quite early on or it was the webinar that I, kicked it all off but yeah what once I discovered that I could work with my dogs I'm like oh my god this is <laughs> something that I really want to explore and you know um this I know that some of the research still needs to come out but there's such good research about using dogs mm. in therapy as well and you know achieving client goals and at the end of the day that's why I became an OT to help clients and, and look it's a bonus that I can do that with my dogs <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um and I suppose we should also probably cover what the temperament test is because I, I realize I, I did mention that in the beginning but I'm not sure everyone listening will understand what we're talking about but yeah. when you yeah when you when you go through the therapy dogs Australia course at the end you'll be doing a practical assessment um written yeah. assessments and then yeah. also you need to get temperament uh, assessed get your dog temperament assessed with um, us or with a locum trainer. Yeah. It can be yeah. a little bit extensive um, because we're, we're tests, we're making sure that we've uh, had a look at the 
learning outcomes for the handler and the dog. So um, to be able to do both, like we we do assess people throughout the course as well. So we just, we have lots of worksheets and things like that. And we keep an eye on people's comprehension of the ideas and things like that so that we can address gaps in learning along the way. But we've got a final reflection task that um, is a few pages long and people fill that in with their final assessments as well. So that gives us, you know, another opportunity to just make sure that um, people have received the information in the courses um, rather than sort of passively attended. So we've got that and then we've got the obedience assessment. I can't remember we've done, I don't think we've talked about very much about that. Basically that's our, um, our sits and drops and walking on the lead and things like that. So that's all submitted by video uh, and we mark that, us Therapy Dogs Australia and our trainers, we mark that um, via video. And the reason that we do that is because even though um, we have lots of lo locum trainers all over the place and they're amazing, every dog trainer is going to have a different way of doing things and looking at things. So we teach you those obedience skills and manners skills. So that's why we assess them. We don't teach them to you and then send you to someone else who might not um, understand why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, and then the final thing is the temperament assessment. So the temperament assessment, the reason that can be done by locum trainers all over Australia, as long as they're formally accredited trainers uh, and they are appropriately insured and willing to work with us, we can um, send you to a locum trainer to do the temperament assessment because temperament is quite stable across all dog trainers. So we've definitely found from certainly the trainers that we're already using that, yeah, like people, trainers that have got a formal accreditation have been trained um, in assessing a dog's temperament. So that's what has given us a lot of flexibility to be able to run these courses nationally is that, because Marlene, you're in Western Australia. Yeah, correct. Yeah, we're in Queensland. So in the old days, Marlene would have had to drive across the Nullarbor <laughs> <laughs> and then have to do that every 12 months as well because therapy dog um, best practice is that you, you're trained and assessed every 12 months. So um, that's incredibly prohibitive if people aren't able to address that. Um you know, it's a, that's a long way to go. And especially with multiple dogs too. Oh um, yeah. That adds yeah. up. Even if you wanted to fly your dogs, which is, you know, it's got its own risks, but even if you wanted to fly your dogs, what are you flying dogs across the country every 12 months? Like, no. So uh, yeah, that's how we do that. But what, so Marlene, you passed your obedience with Miku. Was that Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah. 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 And then went and did the temperament assessment with your locum dog trainer um, who came back to us and had a few bits and pieces of feedback that we then discussed with them. And we came back to you and said, we just don't think that Miku is ready yet. Um, and then do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah. that? What what was going on there? Yeah. And, and upon reflection, probably not the best environment for her to do so it was a really hot day so instead of meeting out we met at a doggy daycare um so that it was a bit cooler but um doggy daycare mm. and stressed as well and 
it was um a little bit darker and you could just see that Miku wasn't a hundred percent um mm -hmm. comfortable but we went ahead anyway so when someone a stranger tried to pat her she barked at them um mm -hmm. and then she had a bark at another person and she but she did let one person pat her and you could just see she wasn't 100% happy um the last person she did bark at he got her to sit and he did a high five and that seemed to engage her a little bit mm. better so um didn't really set her up for success really as well in like I, I I felt a little bit as a handler as well for sure um then for the so what I then worked on was that she needs to be comfortable with like strangers sometimes invading her space um and because that's Miku is a bit more like her own space rather versus my other dog um and that's probably why I didn't really do uh, train her as much with people invading her space because my other dog is so is is very very good <laughs> um, so I just did yeah did some training and I've actually put a bit of a cue on her going up to strangers as well so she knows that I want her to go up and the strangers are going to pat her so I mm -hmm. it's as simple as saying oh say hello and that means go up to that person and expect a pat from them and that was really really um so that's what we worked on I just asked strangers in the street can you please pat my dog um you get some weird really weird looks really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh most people want to pat dogs um so and it's um but I, that's it set Miku up for more of a success when I redid my temperament test because um, as we were going up to strangers, I can go go and say hello and then she would go up to them, get patted, and then um, she would and then she would be able to leave or she comes back to me and I'd go, go, no, go and say hello and she'll go back. So, um, yeah, so that was, well, that's how I kind of did it. So, but it was really assessments uh I think two or three months okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it was shorter than what I thought it was gonna be mm. <laughs> but mm. I did say back to your trainer I was like this is a really good team so um I think they'll get it sorted so um yeah Thank which you. is cool like which is great because so it sounds like you worked on Im improving her confidence by letting her know what to expect so like instead of um yeah feeling a bit apprehensive and a bit uneasy like is, is this person coming up to me why are they doing that really helping her understand like set yeah you go up to them and they pat you and it's great does, does she um seem more confident overall yeah and I if if she's not 100% sure like I tell them to give her a bit of a bum scratch that's her yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and that'll and really like, win her over <laughs> yeah yeah and like because I do agility with her I do lots of different sports and she's never done that in those environments either but she's always been since she was a 13 week old puppy she came along to those things and she kind of knows that environment and um and that sort of thing so I think it's raising her confidence and her confidence around other people in different environments mm. as well yes yeah. so. 
Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, helping her understand as well, like there's something in the interaction for her too. So if they're going to give her a bum scratch, she'll be like, great. Like, I love bum scratches. This is great. New people can give you bum scratches. I absolutely have a reason to approach you now. This is fantastic. So I really like that you've paired those things up because we're trying to tap into that dog's natural, okay, so what? how can this be beneficial for you so that they naturally want to be going up to people and, yeah, really breaking down that kind of apprehensive, like, oh, I don't know, like. Yeah, and the high five works high five works really well with her as well so both my dogs are taught high five um kuman it doesn't matter as much but miku does because you know kids often want to hug dogs yeah. and kuma kuma you can hug to the end, end of days miku becomes a bit more apprehensive so mm-hmm. i'll get kids to do high five with her and she loves yeah. doing high five she'll do that until the cows come home so <laughs> you know she's she's a funny little dog every now and again. So <laughs> it's actually great um, discussing this also because we've mentioned before um, how we try and steer clear of treats and use other reinforcers um, in a therapy dog setting for that very yeah. reason that you mm. managed to pair not only butt scratches, but it was something that can be easily reinforced mm. with with the people that she engages with. Yeah. And that's what I looked for because I don't I don't constantly want to have to reward her with food. I, um, mm-hmm. Initially, I did, I, when I got her to say hello to people, I definitely had food on me. But once they do the button scratch issue, she yep. doesn't, really, doesn't really care about yep. food. And she really likes toys as well. So, you know, if someone plays with her, well, they're her best friend. Uh, <laughs> so, but that's not always doable either. But she's... Um, She's quite she's quite easy to please once I figured out how to make sure that she felt comfortable with those type of people. Yeah, I think that's great. And like I think it's really cool to put some structure to that and help her understand like everything's cool, man. Like you've done this before. Like I know it's a new and different person, but it's not a new and different situation because um like so uh with my brumbies when I'm teaching them their husbandry stuff. I always say ready right before I do something that's going to be like the next level up of invasive stuff. And even though it's like, you could think like it, that could, that could backfire and be like, Oh, I'm going to say ready. And they're going to run off. But because I grade the exposure, it's like, I'm not saying ready and then just flooding you with the next horrible thing. I'm saying ready and then grading the exposure up a little bit to something that you can handle. But I find it works really well. I think it, yeah, I do it with my dogs when I'm clipping their nails as well. I'll say ready and then clip and then ready and then clip. It's like they know it's coming. I don't like trick them into it, you know, just like, okay, get ready. It's happening. They're like, they're, it just seems to make it easier for them. So it's kind of that say hello for her kind of made it like, this is the thing that you're going to do. Like, and it's all cool. And if you were using food the whole time, you probably would have found that she would have gone up to people quickly got the pat and then rushed back to you for the food, which is what we were trying, what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. She does circle back to me every now and again, but that's like, okay. I, it's, I think it's her way of saying that she's done with that interaction, but yeah. she, if I ask her to re-engage, she does. Um, yeah. So 
and and it's she's not leaving because she's going to get something from me I think mm. it's just her way of going yeah yeah uh, which is totally like fine yeah. yeah totally fine and normal yeah absolutely especially out and about like it's really normal for the dogs to be like okay what's next mum yeah and like if I'm walking her you know she's got a job to do she's walking mm. with me she's not yeah she'll have a sniff every now and again but she's not she wants to continue to walk and, and work. So Yeah. <laughs> Did you Bless find her. also, Marlene, that when you um failed your first temperament assessment, um, that you because of the course, you kind of knew why you didn't feel too like disheartened about the whole thing as well? Because it sounds like you were really aware even before the assessment started that it probably wasn't the best environment. Yeah, like, did that then oh. help you feel like, yeah, not so disheartened about the whole thing. Yeah, I think more the environment was more uh, with reflection. I'm like, yeah, that like she's never been there, but well, she did agility training there, but there were no other dogs barking and like carrying on. And um, but I knew that when I failed the assessment, I, I like I, I knew why, and um, I would probably have failed me as well but and it's not just her that failed it was me as well because and I think that's we failed as a team um mm. because I didn't set her up and um you know but I really well I knew she was better than barking at someone so and she um and she ended up doing lovely work in her second temperament test so um yeah mm, yeah no it just sounds um sounds like having had like gone through the course it meant that it wasn't such a personal thing um yeah and I think maybe some people when they hear but we could you know going to be assessing them at the end of the course it can be quite daunting but when hopefully when you've gone through the course you kind of are really right there with us and understanding like why decisions are made and like what yeah what you can do to and I think the feedback um, Sam gave as well is like, you know, this is our expectation and you didn't quite meet it. Well, fair enough. You've got to, there's a, you have to have a level of standard because otherwise, like, why have the course? So I mm. think that's fair enough. And like, you know, um, I get feedback about Kuma's obedience because, and her recall, because it's definitely not, that's not our strong suit. And definitely when, um, she's she's got a pretty good recall when there's food involved, but when it's just <laughs> it becomes a little bit more apprehensive. But and even though, um, you know, I think but once you are past, it's kind of up to you to assess as well. Do I want to put my dog in that situation, mm-hmm. or do I like Miku? Would I would I go into a, a big shed and do a therapy session there? Probably not because mm-hmm. it wasn't that successful yeah. the first time. So, and I I I never work Kuma off lead. She's she, she has got an off lead recall, but I don't I stress about it. So I don't put it, so I don't put ourselves in that situation. So, um, I think that's even after the, the course gives you the skills to continue to reflect upon what you've got and what your dogs are doing and making sure that you're setting them up for success and also that they have a great client engagement as well. That's so, really awesome. Yeah, so cool um, to be able to talk about this because we do have 
people fail their temperament assessments, people fail their obedience assessments, and it can be really hard for people to know that, you know, our purpose behind marking you as not yet competent is to really set you up for success. It's not to break you down. It's not because we think you're an idiot. It's not because we think you're dog shit. Like it's not those things. It'll be that we can see um, that this isn't quite ready yet. And it can be really hard to um, look at yourself in a non-bias, like you had pretty good insight about your situation. Um, but for people to look at themselves and their dogs, I mean, you love them, like, you know, and you're excited and you want to get out there and do stuff and, and or people sometimes um, their reassessments is where it falls apart. It's like you mentioned, Marlene, like people um, sometimes don't keep up with their dogs during the year and then they reassess and we go, oh, no, no, <laughs> this has fallen <laughs> apart. <laughs> um, or they move down levels as well at their reassessments. And, you know, like sometimes that's not for lack of effort. Sometimes there's something that's gone on in the dog's life or the handler's life and whatever, and it just will be what will be. Um, but the purpose of marking people as not yet competent is um, to help keep them safe and to help keep their dogs safe. And as dog trainers, there's only so much that we can do. And you've got to remember that that dog trainer is putting their name on the line. Like they need to be sure. So it has to go past your locum dog trainer. So they need to um, give me the feedback. They fill in those forms and they give that to me. And then I make the final decision as well. So sometimes a locum will be saying, um, oh, yeah, 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 I think they're okay. But I will look at that with the other information that I've got about the team, um, including their obedience assessment and their written work. And I'll make the final decision about whether or not it's going to be okay. Because if it's a handler that we have um, we need to give a bit more support to, um, or the obedience is really right on the edge as well, then I'll be saying, do you know what? Even though you're a great person and you've made so much progress with your dog and it's looking like pretty good, you're not ready to look after the well-being of a human client with just you and that dog just yet. And if you do take yourself into a situation where that was to take place, I do worry um, that it could fall apart and we put the locum dog trainer's name and our name on this team uh, and if something goes wrong it's not going to be just you that gets a phone call <laughs> it's gonna like from whoever has been implicated by whatever's happened with you and the dog it's not going to be just you I dare say it'll be us as well that gets a phone call and it'll be yeah, yeah it'll escalate absolutely like you know and that's why yeah that's why there's expectations yeah the um one of the things too so People might be listening going, um, oh, well, why'd you do the assessment if the dog was already like not not sure in that environment and things like that? And I just want to address that for people. When you've booked in something, <laughs> you've booked it in, <laughs> you are paying for it, 
regardless of whether you decide to do it. Like if you've booked someone's time, I dare say you'll be paying for it, regardless of whether you do your assessment or not. Um, you've taken time off work. You've prepped your dog. You know, you've done all these things. You're all excited. And then somehow, somewhere, because this does happen a bit where people go to wherever they're doing their temperament assessments and for whatever reason, the dog just isn't right and the handler's just not right and they we call them bombing it. They just completely bomb their assessment uh, and it's out of character for them and it's this whole thing and all that sort of stuff. But do you know what? It's just one of those things that happens. It's the luck of the draw. You know, it just happened to be hot that day tried to problem solve it by going indoors. It backfired. Shit happens. You know, it's just it's one not really of those any, things. any different than doing any other exam. And, you that's know, you it. wake up sick that day, but that's <laughs> it. you got to do it. Yeah. The pressure's on and, you know, the trainer has to try and set up some kind of environment that's going to test the dog. We can't just, you know, meet everybody down at the park and, throw the ball three times and go, what a lovely dog. <laughs> like we've got to have some pressures in the situation because that's what's going to be happening in their working life is there's going to be pressures on the dog and there's going to be pressures on the handler. So if this happens to you guys, if something happens and you rock up and you're like, oh, my God, like this is just immediately falling apart. Try and reframe it for yourself to be an opportunity to practice. Call it a practice exam for yourself. When I did the national psychology exam, it's a three-hour exam, you have to pass to um, finish your internship. And it is a nightmare of an exam. I think there's 150 questions, it's three hours, and you have to get 70% to pass. And it's all domains of psychology. Pressure. Pressure. Um, they were scheduling the exam every three months. So you can't do it. You can't just go and reset it. And it was back then it was $450 per sitting to sit. Mm. And to try and study for that bad boy is a dead set nightmare. Like you're already working full time because you're an intern. Um, and like at the time that it was coming about, I've told the story to my supervisors a thousand times. So if they're listening, sorry, guys. <laughs> Well, as it was coming about, I got the workplace that I was at, got a tender for, I was doing animal assisted therapy. Um, and I had like all of a sudden this, I had no clients for ages. And then I had a massive influx of clients and I had to develop all these treatment plans and, you know, seal. And I wrote, was running groups um, and individual clients. And like, it was just, I was full, like flat out, flat tack all day, every day, all mm. of a sudden out of nowhere when I'd been like a much reduced workload to that. And it was in the lead up to my exam. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to, like I'd made this big spreadsheet. It's like all domains, like it's or there's books and books and books on the reading list. Like it's ridiculous, the amount of content. Um, So I was like, I'm not going to be able to study like with my fancy spreadsheet that I made. I'm not going to have time. Should I cancel the exam or I don't exam well? Um, all through uni and everything, like I'd go into an exam and be like, all right, I'm prepared. I'd study heaps. I'm prepared. Sit the exam and be like, all right, I think that went well. And then get my results back and be like, oh. Oh, that's <laughs> devastating oh. though. Like I'd be sitting on sevens. My assignments were always good. 
because mm. I could like I had better Plan. processing time yeah yeah but then I'd like so I'd be sitting on like these high grades and then go in and get like very average grades at the end of the course and be like like damn it damn hate <laughs> <laughs> exams so um, I was like, all right, I'm just going to do a practice exam because I also don't like going into the city. So, and I was going to have to drive. It's in this lab thing in the city and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I get scared driving to the city because everything's one way streets and it's tight and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so I was like, all right, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to spend this money, $150, spend this money. And I'm just going to go and do this as a practice exam because I need to practice anyway. And, you know, even though I've done the other practice exams that are online, I actually need to practice driving into the city, finding the building, going up to the computer lab, asking the people where I'm supposed to be and be in the exam room for three hours. And, you know, like those things around it are the things that are challenging for me. So um, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to say goodbye to this money and goodbye to the street. I'll just you know, book the next one that's in three months time and try and get study for that, you know, and um, went and did it anyway. It turned out I, the other computer lab was full. I don't know who's in like other, they run, it's like an exam running place. It's like high rise in the city. Mm. Um, And the other lab was full. So I was in this other computer lab by myself and they had, so it's like full of like, it's like 30 computers spots in there, but it's like got this, all windowed wall so I could see the whole city spinny chairs and bowls of lollies wow at, ev- at every computer desk wow. so- <laughs> I was the only one in there so-, <laughs> so the whole exam I was like because I've like focus and then be like movement break and be spinning around on my chair and walking around the room looking out the window at like what's going on out there like look at that crane they're building something it should take all my favorite lollies out of the lolly jars at every desk (laughs) go back to my desk do another like 20 questions have another break spinning on the chair like they must have been watching me because they obviously observed (laughs) They must have been watching me like, I wonder what, I wonder what the go is here. <laughs> I was so lucky that that was like the case. If I reckon if the room was full and I couldn't, because if, the, if there's other people in the yeah. room, you can't spin around on the chair. It's like also it's hot. And yeah. 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 And people noises because it's quiet. Mm. So people making noises would have been a big thing for me. Eating. Oh, people eating lollies or wrappers. I would have been so like just Mm. way over threshold with like in that environment. I was just lucky. I passed the exam. um, So I didn't have to study at all and then ended up passing this exam on the first go. So which is because I could spin around on the chairs. So it was probably a little bit more than that. <laughs> well, you know, not the information the was probably in there, but it's getting exactly. the information out. Like how, mm. how do we get the information out? Like, obviously when I was examining at uni that those conditions were not conducive to getting the information out. Like you relaxed. that doesn't work for me. Obviously I've learned, I spent four years learning that. <sighs> so we understand, I understand very, very well uh, that being assessed 
and having assessment conditions is stressful. I do understand that. Trust me. Like I get it. What I also want people to know though, is that being an animal assisted therapist in charge of one or more dogs and a client at the same time is also very stressful at times. It's stressful for the dog and it's stressful for the handler sometimes, depending on the client, the dog, what's going on in the situation and your level of experience uh, in animal-assisted therapies. It can be stressful. Sometimes things go pear-shaped and it's all a little bit hectic for a few minutes or an hour. It can be, you know, like, oh, my goodness, stuff is happening. So we do understand that stress. We can't completely remove stress from the assessment. It's not possible. It can't be done. Uh, but also it wouldn't be relevant because mm-hmm. we, we can't remove stress from your job or your life. We, we actually just physically cannot do that. So I think it's a balancing act of, you know, us being really aware that it's stressful and us being aware that like dogs and handlers bomb assessments sometimes that's just life it doesn't mean that they're not good handlers and it doesn't mean that they're not good dogs they just bomb sometimes and that's that's a part of assessment and things like that however what we need to do from then is build you up and and help you understand like so what we need to do now is hello Miku (laughs) (laughs) she's like yes sometimes you just bomb the assessments and it's not your fault you just got a little bit nervous (laughs) <laughs> she's, just, she's just just popped her head into the screen for those listening <laughs> to the podcast like, Hello, Mama. Yes. <laughs> um that when we do these assessments you know we want to build people up but also build your capacity to handle stress and to build your capacity to support your dog in a stressful situation because there will be stressful situations when you're working with your animals that's going to happen I can't stop that from happening that's just life if you really don't if you can't, if you don't have the capacity to handle stress and handle a dog at the same time and guide them through that, then yeah, not yet competent because that is dangerous and it's going to be horrible for you and it's going to be horrible for the dog. So I really just want people to know that um, we will give you individualized advice. That wasn't the case for Miku, I didn't think, Marlene. I didn't think it was that you guys panicked or anything I think it was just a the novel situation um unexpected probably a bit of bit of pressure and then going like oh okay whoopsie yeah yeah and you know and I think that's really important as any therapist as well or if you've done a course to reflect upon what what's happened and you know that's why I say I I I should have picked up on her stress side and just better and but, you know, I'm human, she's only a dog, and we've learned from it. So, yeah. um, and I think that's, no matter what happens, even if you pass an assessment, you can always go, hmm, that wasn't quite right, we need to improve that. Or, yeah. You know, that's so important, that reflection, that critical reflection, because otherwise you never, you, you need to keep improving, you can't just stay stagnant. And like you say, it's for it's for the safety of everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, and like her going to say hello to people now, 
that's what I use and that's yeah and that's successful so then I won't put a, her in a situation where she, she feels like she's so uncomfortable that she needs to bark at my client mm-hmm. and that's not very nice for the client either they've come there to say hello to a dog or to work with a dog and myself mm. and the dog's going to bark at them well that's that's not yeah. a great situation for yeah. them not on yeah that's right so lots of things to learn from your experience um so thanks so much for talking to us about it because I do want to put people's minds at ease a bit um and encourage people as well that you know it's not the bit we do have to mark people as not competent and we know Marlene like we've trained Kuma with Marlene we know Marlene so when the feedback came back from the trainer, I was surprised um, because I know how good Kuma is. So I was like, oh, I'm sure they'll be fine. Like we'll we'll just, you know, have a chat about it and come up with a plan. But if you don't already know us and, you know, these kinds of things are happening, I think that that would be more intimidating, mm. you know, like to go, oh, well, I've, what what's going on? Like, oh, and it doesn't feel nice to fail things. Like we use the words not yet competent, but obviously it's people obviously understand they've failed something. Um, I know that that's not a nice feeling. So maybe how did you handle that um, with, you know, did you have any feelings of like disappointment, stuff like oh, that? Oh, I definitely was disappointed because, um, you know, not yet competent failing kind of the same thing you're like Mm. and like it is the thing thing. I've paid I've paid this money to a trainer I've spent all this time because I was hoping um I was hoping to start me working Miku quite a bit earlier but she just wasn't her um she's a working line lab so she's got a, a lot of energy and she just wasn't I wasn't happy with where she was at I wanted to work a more close to a year old and she just Mm. wasn't she wasn't ready mm-hmm. and so now I thought I, she was ready and we could do everything we could get our obedience and then we, that happens and I'm like oh damn like <laughs> you know it's it's it, but it, it, it's ended up working and it's ended up giving me some really valuable feedback that um I've gotten away with stuff with Kuma because Kuma is so social she mm. look she's everyone's best friend she's never met a stranger while <laughs> uh, while Miku is a bit more reserved, she's a bit more um she's a lot more focused on me as well. So mm. I think acknowledging for me as well as a handler with two dogs that they are totally different and mm-hmm. that they need to be treated separately, and that I've obviously missed something in my training, um is what I got out of it as well. So yes, I was disappointed, but that but that's. But that disappointment only lasted a little bit until I reflected as to why I failed, if mm. that makes sense. So do you think, because um, this is your second dog, like how do we support people when they fail? Do you think that some of that was, do you think you were buffered by that disappointment because you already had Kuma, so you already sort of knew fair bit about the industry you already had a dog you could work with like some people have spent stupid money on dogs and they've gone and done whatever with them and then they finally get to the training and then they 
are not competent on their temperament assessment and they've invested all this and they've all they've been telling the school that they're at that the dog's going to be there and all this stuff like I think there's a lot of pressures that come about because you're in private practice aren't you yeah 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 so yeah I don't know like how do we support people through that because I think there's all these other factors as well do you think some of those things like your particular setup might have buffered you from a total meltdown and sending me abusive emails <laughs> potentially because there was because Kumar was already working mm. I didn't need Miku to come on board I wanted mm. Miku to come on board because she has got a different temperament she will she's a Kuma just goes to sleep right Kuma yeah. says hello to the person and then she goes to her bed and every now and again she'll do some engagement but she's not for and she's great at co-regulating she that's that's her main thing if someone comes in who's anxious Kuma is great because she just the whole energy in the room drops because she just goes to sleep. Yeah. Miku likes to like is a bit more high yeah. energy and wants to interact. So I think there was definitely Miku failing. It wasn't the end of the world because Kuma could keep working. And mm. I, you know, I've told some clients, oh, you know, I'm I am training another dog, but she's not ready yet. And then now that she is past i'm transferring some of the clients over but not all um so i think that is a buffer so how to support people i don't yeah you you don't want to make say oh this is what's going to happen and count your chickens before they hatch basically yeah saying i agree with that um i just think i know that people are also like financially very invested too Mm. um so yeah i guess it's maybe a combination of like being emotionally disappointed by it. And then, you know, the financial, sometimes a workplace has paid for people to do the course and things like that. Um, so I guess like, I get it, like where people come from. Cause sometimes people get very upset with me if they don't pass mm. first time. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that <clears throat> sometimes it seems personal when it's definitely not. Yeah. I think, and it's, you know, um, or they'll, like Marlene didn't even come back and say, I didn't even know that it was that um, environmental situation, blah, 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 because some people will come straight back to me and say, it's not my fault because of X, Y, Z situation. And I'll say, that's fine, but we need to do the assessment again because all that we can assess is what has presented on the day. So, you know, but I think people get a little bit overwhelmed with that sort of stuff, but some people can get a bit overwhelmed, which I totally, I get it. I get it. It's very, it's a very, infe- people are very invested. But I think people also need to, ref- like I reflected and go, yeah, that, that that was so, wasn't her normal self. And that was due to the environment. Well, I've mm. put it down to the environment as well. You know, I, I don't blame you for not, like I looked at when, you no, know, looking back or when I got home from the assessment, I was like, yeah, that really wasn't good. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we'll pass this. <laughs> and so, you know, I kind of, it, it wasn't a complete surprise, to be honest, that we didn't pass. So, um, and I don't know if that's, you know, that reflection, I think is always really important and asking mm. people to reflect as to why do you think this has happened? Because it's it, like, for me, it wasn't mm. totally blue. I think mm. most would know if it's totally out of the blue as well so um I suppose because your dog barked at people which is a pretty black and white like 
that's not very friendly kind of behavior. Um, but some people's dogs haven't barked at people. They've just been, you know, generally apprehensive and timid and, you know, not not such black and white behaviors. And it's probably more difficult for them to then, you know, be unbiased because they maybe aren't seeing to the level that what the dog trainer is seeing or what the dog's displaying. So sometimes we'll do things like change. Um, we had one dog recently um, that failed and, um, yeah, the owner was not super impressed. <laughs> and um, I think I had missed an email somewhere. I'm trying to remember. But, um Anyway, they're not impressed. So we just had to explain that exact thing. Like, well, the dog trainer can only look at what shows up on the day. You know, they've got an hour to look at the dog on the day. Um, and that hour can either go really well for you or it can fall apart. So, and, but there's, there's, it doesn't matter what you say to in an email or say in a dog trainer, like we have to see it, that this is the only hands and eyes physically on the dog part of our whole course. Like, if we were running the courses face-to-face and we knew we'd known the dogs for months and the handlers for months and they rocked up on one day and they were a bit funny, that'd be a different story. But this is like the only time that we see them. So um, we did that. We organized to do the temperament assessment again and we did it in their workplace. Um, and the dog was like, awesome. And the trainer was like, yeah, sweet. Like the dog was like, great. We've done that a couple of times. Um, Caitlin did an assessment um, with someone and it was out on the water down at Redcliffe and this dog just went stupid about birds. <laughs> and it just, it, I don't know, I was like, it just was so heightened and was acting like an idiot. So <laughs> they they bombed it big time. Yeah. And then because like then what happens is the handler um I can't remember specifically for this person and this dog, but what can often happen is the, something happens with the dog and then the handler just just panics and just falls apart um, and then the dog's not supported. So then it just further, de, you know, uh, spirals out of control. But um, <laughs> that's dogs, man. But anyway, same thing, went and did the assessment at the workplace. Sweet. So, you know, but we, we'd make notes of those things and go, so this dog's been assessed at the workplace. So we've approved it at the workplace, like that specific dog, I think from memory had on its thing that it can't do walk, walking. It can't do anything outdoors um, until she's had it around birds um, and it hasn't acted like an idiot. It's better. <laughs> they've done it. They've recently, I think they recently did a reassessment and it's better, hmm. um, which is great, but it doesn't need to be perfect. Who cares? Like, yeah. So the dog's super excited by birds, whatever. We don't have any birds inside. <laughs> fine <laughs> doesn't matter just don't work with clients outside you know but that would be different if it was a school dog if it was a school dog you'd be in trouble so then we would have to assess that situation differently and go no you're not ready we also had another person that um who we did um assess and I did go back and say not ready um and I believe we assess them this is a while ago, we went back and said not ready. Um, handler and dog combined wasn't ready. Um, and 
they went, didn't like that um, and went somewhere else and another person told them they were ready and the dog has bitten two times. That's really sad. So weren't ready, were not ready. You know what I'm saying? So one of the things to really take home is that we are doing our absolute best to keep you and your dog and your clients safe. Why would I care otherwise? Why would I care? If it's we didn't have actual risk, if we didn't have actual reasons, actual safety concerns and actual welfare concerns for the animal, why would we why would we fail teams? Like for fun? Like anyone that's trained with us knows that our obedience assessment is marked on a scale of zero to five. And you can get zeros for things. Like it doesn't like well, like whatever. You know, you can't the dog can't do a drop to save its life. Um, but you do it, you got to get your scores up in the other things. So it can't just be that it's a dog that hasn't you haven't put any work into and this dog's just a menace and you've, you know, because if you can't get a dog to do basic stuff like that to at least some level, then they shouldn't be in a workplace. No, you won't have any control of the situation. Yeah, like Mm. all they're going to do is disrupt a workplace and disrupt you and cause chaos. So, but we've got a scale of things. So dog, we don't, we've never asked for dogs and handlers to be perfect. Like we've never asked for that but we want you to be safe. And we do know that sometimes people need a little bit more guidance around how to be safe. We've had other dogs before that we've not passed, whether it was their obedience or their temperament. Um, And people just still take them to wherever they're going, schools, workplaces, things like that. And we will have done, you know, not even one temperament assessment, multiple temperament assessments and had trainers giving feedback like this this dog is not okay in this environment like this is not going to end well for the dog or for the people in the environment so but people still take them people just you know I don't know what it is about that I guess uh there's probably a emotional aspect to it um maybe there's a uh some kind of maybe belief that we're I don't know just trying to annoy people by not passing their dogs on everything straight away I don't know what it is but yes it does happen Mm. there's a lot of parties to protect though that's why yeah you need to have in writing that everything went well and you know the dog passed and the handler passed for the very reason that that's the only piece of information that you can show if something does go wrong that Oh, yeah. When you speak to someone whose dog has bitten, um, you don't want to be that person. Like, you don't want to be that person. No, that'd be devastating. Devastating. Mm. It is absolutely devastating. And it's devastating to all of the people who know the dog, which if you've been exposing them to the community, that can sometimes be a lot of people and it's heartbreaking. And, you know, 
situations take place and things occur and none of us are perfect and yeah like things happen but I guess we're trying to set people up for the most amount of success possible uh we can't control everything we can't control especially if you work with kids we can't control kids we can't control dogs with an inch of their life like things happen so you know we get that we understand that but we want to set you up with the best possible chance of keeping everybody safe because it is horrible when things don't go well. Um, you know, fortunately the the dog that I'm talking about um, is fine. Like someone wasn't seriously injured. Um, so the dog's fine. The person's, you know, quote unquote, okay. I don't actually know the full details, but um, you know, they weren't, badly injured mm, yeah they're okay but it was a it's a yeah it's a big deal so mm. you know like it's pretty yeah it's pretty mm, stressful and it's scary and things like that so I suppose like the amount of stress and disappointment that is involved in getting a not yet competent on your temperament assessment um from my experience, doesn't compare to the stress and disappointment of your dog biting someone. Because that sucks for everyone. Mm. But, yeah, I think the main thing to take away is that we we want our teams to succeed and we're, mm-hmm. not, we're not doing anything to jeopardise that unless we think that, you know, there needs some more work to be done. Marlene made a really great point about the dog being not ready. So Miku, just, you know, Marlene, knowing that you you guys listening, like if you haven't done a temperament assessment before, if you haven't, this is your first dog or whatever, um, you might not know that. Like how would you know that the dog's not ready if you haven't worked in animal-assisted therapy before? You might get that wrong. You might think the dog is ready. Marlene already works with Kuma, so she knows, like, okay, this is like fun and great, but it's also hard. So (laughs) it's not Mm. just a walk in the park. It makes things more difficult and it is more stressful. So, you know, Marlene was able to pick that up for Miku and even got, you know, as far along as like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's ready. Sweet, let's go. And then like, ah, okay, well, that one environment is probably not. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess even like taking that environment out of the equation, Marlene, um, would you say like your dog's overall confidence level at the time of the first assessment versus your dog's overall confidence level at the time of the second assessment, regardless of environment, so take away the environment as a factor? It's definitely increased. You know, having that cue and and her being, that that's definitely increased her confidence because it's now set her, the expectations for her are a lot clearer as well. Mm rather than yeah anything so if you hadn't had that experience um with your first temperament assessment you maybe wouldn't have seen that gap for her and been so focused on that gap because overall Miku's gonna have a way better life being an overall more confident dog yep. so that's I think that's like a great outcome but it's easy for us to look at a situation in hindsight and go, oh, look at all these like silver linings. Like, <laughs> like why is that wholesome? Like, 
but I think it's also really important to learn from the situations as well yeah. and go, yep, that's that definitely wasn't. I had didn't yeah, like I said, I didn't set her up for success. Um, but yeah, she's a good dog now. So <laughs> we we were meant to have our first session, but the client didn't turn up, which was a bit sad. But, oh. but, but you know what we did? We went into the room and we learned to chill out a little bit because that's one of the things that she's not always her strength. So we chilled out for a bit and I was super impressed with that. So we did a Excellent. little bit of training. So Go Miku. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think that's why there, you know, that talking about it with someone who's been through it. Um, might be super helpful for people who are either coming up to a temperament assessment or have already had one not yet competent. There is a caveat to this. So like we do sometimes come across dogs that we think are too far gone. Um, That does happen. So um, that's just a part of life. We will generally let you know that um, when we know it, but it can be hard for us to know that. So it's never going to be a case of we're just trying to, milk as many temperament assessments out of you as what we can get it'll be that we're trying to encourage and support teams um to get the dogs to because this is what can happen like with marlene's dog with miku all she needed was some help and we've seen lots of teams come back and reassess and get it right and the dogs have improved heaps it's not just luck or the environment or they woke up on the right side of the bed that day we've seen the dogs improve We've seen the handlers improve and the trainers have been very um, impressed with them. We've been very impressed with them. Sometimes um, the dogs aren't, we just don't get there, you know, and it can be, that's obviously hard to hear and understand too, but please understand that's a very difficult call for us to make after meeting your dog for only one or two hours. So that's, that's where the water gets a little bit more murky and we don't really know like we Mm. we would need to spend quite a lot of time with the dog um unless it's something quite sometimes it's very obvious and we're like no no like this is no 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 um but sometimes it's not so yeah just but I just want to um help people understand like the lines of communication are open so please speak with us um speak with your trainers and yeah don't don't um, be scared to reach out and have a chat because it happens, you know, I'm not going to say all the time, but it happens a, It happens a fair bit. So hang in there. And well done to you, Marlene and mm. Miku. Very Thank proud you. of you. Thank you. I'm pretty and Thanks proud for talking to us today. Thank You're a legend. You, Marlene. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.